We'll spend just a few minutes, we don't have a lot of time, but we'll spend a few minutes continuing to look at the person of Christ. Uh, We have, over the last several weeks, been looking at the fact that Jesus, um, although he was fully God, was also fully man. And we've particularly concentrated on the fact that he is uh, fully human and, um, and all of what that means. Let me just ask a question and get some feedback. Turn your brains on and, uh, and give, me some, give me some answers here. Why was it necessary for Jesus to be fully human? Yeah. Yeah, what do you mean by that, fully identify with us? Yeah. Yeah, Hebrews talks about that, that we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with us but that he can he he can identify because he's been been where we are he's been tempted in every way like we have been so yeah how why else yes substitutionary atonement um if if the sin debt if the punishment for sin was going to be placed on somebody it couldn't simply be placed on an angel, or couldn't couldn't be placed on God. It had to be placed on a human. If it was going to take the place uh, of human punishment, then it had to be placed on a human. And so, yeah, Christ had to be human so that He could be our substitute. John, you started to say something. Yeah. Right, right. And you said two things there. Um, number one, um, that he lived a perfectly righteous life. And therefore, since he was perfectly righteous and we were not, then we have his righteousness credited or imputed to us and our sinfulness was credited or imputed to him. The other thing you said was that his living a perfectly righteous life, now that we have been saved, gave us an example. He was a living, breathing example for us to follow. Ray? Yeah, he had to die. That's right. Yeah, yeah, God, God can't die. So if, if, uh, if someone was going to die for the sins of humanity, then he had to become a man. That's right. Those are all true. Um, I mean, you guys are 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 uh, are right on things. There's only probably a couple more that I'll point out to you. Uh, One is that uh, we needed a mediator. I made mention of that in my prayer that we needed a mediator. A mediator is someone who goes between two parties, two parties that are at odds. Well, there have never been two parties that were at greater odds than humanity and God. God is perfectly holy. And we, in our sinfulness, were thoroughly sinful. So how do we come together? We can't approach God. We're not holy. God's not going to to taint or just toss His holiness aside and approach us and, and throw His justice away. So we had to have a mediator. That mediator had to be someone who could both represent God and also could represent man who could come between the two 
And Jesus, fully God, fully divine, a member of the Trinity, took on flesh so that he could represent God to us and us to God. He is our mediator that reconciles those two parties that were at odds. It's good news, isn't it? Yeah, great news. We have, um, we have this mediator. You know, also, um, there's a couple more, but I'll just give you one, is that, you know, he was the first fruits of what you and I will experience when we are raised from the dead. That Ray pointed out that Jesus had to die. Well, how was he to die if he didn't become a human? Well, also, if you and I, as humans, were going to be raised from the dead, then he also had to be raised from the dead. And so he became this pattern for our glorified bodies. And we see that in the fact that um, when he was raised from the dead, he was had flesh and bone. He still had the scars in his hands and his side. He ate food. He, he ate with the disciples, ate fish with them. Um, so he shows us this pattern of this glorified body. He was the first first to rise, and those who are in him will follow after him as well. Jesus, it was necessary for him to be fully human for all of those reasons. Maybe there's probably some more. But let me ask you this. Um, well, I'm going to skip that just for the sake of time. What about, um, it's not enough for us to simply focus totally on his humanity. We also have to realize that he was more than a man. There's all sorts of people around the world. It's very popular today to say that Jesus was not God, but he was simply a man. And we've done a lot to show you that, that Jesus was fully human. But the Bible explicitly says that he was more than a man, that he was in every way fully human, but that he was also fully divine. And I want to show you this in Scripture. Um, the incarnation, um, according to Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology, the, the incarnation was the act of God, the Son, taking on um, a human nature to himself. That there was this there was this moment where Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who had always existed as a member of, of the Trinity, always, never a time when he was not, took on humanity. That, um, that he became human for us. I want to show you this in Scripture. Uh, first off, let's look at some Scriptures where the Bible calls Jesus God, specifically that word. He calls Jesus God. Uh, back when we were looking at the Trinity, uh, we pointed out, or I pointed out to you, that that uh, most of the time in the New Testament, when when you see the word God, um, Theos, it is referring to God the Father. But there are occasions where Scripture, specifically the New Testament, uses that word Theos for Jesus. And that's important because for the world out there that says. Jesus is not God. He never claimed to be God. The Bible never claims Jesus is God. Well, let me show you these because the Bible very explicitly does. Uh, John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. If you follow that on out, you're going to go through John 1, and you're going to see that, that the Word there is referring to Jesus Christ. It's not simply referring to this vague general term for God. It's not talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is talking about Jesus Christ. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's an, just a very explicit claim that Jesus is God. You go further into John, you go to John 20, verse 28, where Jesus uh, has appeared to the apostles uh, after he's been resurrected. Thomas wasn't there. Eight days go by, and Thomas is there this time. Jesus appears to them. He says, Thomas, put your hands in the scars. And it never tells us if Thomas actually reaches out and puts his hands in those scars. I think he just saw Jesus there, didn't need to put his hands in those scars, and his expression was, my Lord and my God. This is a definite claim by the early followers of Christ after he was resurrected them claiming Jesus is not just a teacher, he's not just a man, but he is God. Romans, turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. One of the, this is one of the hardest statements in all of the Bible. It's not my point here, but I just have to qualify it by saying that. Paul here in in Romans chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, he says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. Paul here wants so desperately for the, his fellow kinsmen to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ that he's willing, if he could, if it was possible, to see himself cut off from grace so that they could be partakers of grace. He's so, con- so burdened by this because he's convinced, he knows, Jesus Christ is not merely a man. He is God. Now, how does Paul know that? What experience did Paul have that led him to believe Jesus is God? somebody mouthing it, on the road to Damascus, being knocked off of his animal, blinded. Why are you persecuting me? Paul saw the Lord Jesus Christ, saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, and knew later on, later on in in some of his other letters, he, he acknowledges that he saw the risen Christ, and he saw God when he saw Jesus that day. Turn to uh, Titus chapter 2. 
Titus 2, verses 11 through 13. Two eleven. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in, in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we continue to see this, working out through Scripture, that Scripture is making no bones about it. They are saying, that the Bible says repeatedly, Jesus is God. Turn to Second Peter, uh, chapter one, verse one. Second Peter one one. Peter here, not just Paul, but Peter goes on and he says in verse one of chapter one. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, I show you all of that because I want you to see. I want you. To know it beyond any doubt. The next time you hear some documentary, next time you turn on Discovery Channel and they're saying, because it always comes out right around Easter every year, them wanting to discredit the deity of Christ and portray him as only a man, only a teacher among many throughout history. I want you to, beyond any shadow of a doubt, know that Scripture makes no bones about it. Scripture identifies him as God. This is not just saying the Father. This is Jesus being God. Scripture also calls him Lord. Sometimes the word Lord in the Greek uh, simply means, um, it's simply a way to politely address someone who is superior to you. It would be the equivalent of our word sir. Um, yes, sir. No, sir. It's Lord. Sometimes it's used that way. Sometimes Lord in Greek literature is used uh, to um, refer to a master over slaves. But there are definite times where Lord is used to speak of the almighty creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. And that word in that way is used of Jesus. It's used to speak of Yahweh, Jehovah. It's, it's referring to Jesus Christ. We see this in, uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. You turn back there, if you will, Luke 2, 11. When the angels appear to the shepherds announcing the birth of Christ... <clears throat> They say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They're not saying he is going to be superior. They are saying that, but they're not saying it in the way that he's just simply a superior human being. They're not saying that he is the master of uh, all servants. They're saying that he is Lord. He is God. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. Um. Back also just one chapter before that, Luke chapter 1, verse 43, when Mary is, uh, it's announced to her that she will give birth to the Messiah, and she goes, she pays tribute, she pays a visit to 
uh, Elizabeth, her cousin, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, when Mary comes in and, and announces and says, Elizabeth, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, hears that, jumps, jumps with joy because he knows even in the womb that the Messiah is in Mary's womb. And Elizabeth, in chapter 1, verse 43, says, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And you see this all through Scripture. John the Baptist, later on, after he was born and was raised, and he was in the wilderness preparing the way of who? The Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Um, you, you see this all the way through. Let me just skip over a bunch. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. We'll skip all the way to the end. And I want you to see this is referring to Jesus. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Jesus coming back to establish his millennial reign. In verse 11. <clears throat> Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus. So we see throughout Scripture that the Bible calls Jesus God. The Bible calls Jesus Lord Jesus, Jesus himself called himself God. You turn back to John chapter 8, verses 56 to 59. I know I'm dumping a lot on you, but I want you to be confident in this. John 8, 56 and 59. Jesus here. Talking to the Pharisees, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I was. Right? No. Not I was. But before Abraham was, I am. So there's no mistaking this. This was, this was a definitive, very explicit claim to deity. They don't miss it. And the reason I know they don't miss it is continue. Look down in verse 59. They picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They would not pick up stones to stone him for saying anything less than he was God. When he said, before Abraham was, I am, it was the same expression that God himself used with Moses. When Moses said, 
Who shall I say is sending me? And God said, I am that I am. And they don't miss it here. Jesus here is explicitly calling himself God. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. This is the one I'll end on tonight. Matthew 16, verses, verse 13. We've recently gone over this. We, we've gone in Mark, but this is Matthew's account. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the Son of Man, that was Jesus' favorite expression for himself. He alone, he was the only one that referred to himself as the Son of Man. He did so in the gospel 84 different times. He was the only one that used it. And he did so a lot. Why? Why does Jesus like this, this, uh, this name for himself, the Son of Man, so much? I've always wondered that, really. I remember growing up thinking, the Son of Man, nothing makes him sound less like deity than calling himself the Son of Man. I mean, I'm... A son of man, you know, your son or a daughter of man. So why did he like this so much? Because it was a direct reference to the prophecy, the vision in Daniel. Turn back to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. This is what caused Jesus to refer to himself this 84 different times recorded in the Gospels. Daniel 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel's vision, that vision, is the one that we read about just a minute ago. It will ultimately, finally be fulfilled when he comes on that white horse. Jesus here is explicitly referring to he's that guy. He's the one that was prophesied in Daniel. He's the one in the vision. He's calling himself not just a son of a man, but he is the son of man referred to in Daniel. I told you I'd end on that scripture. Let me give you one more. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verses 63 through 66. Beginning in verse 63. But Jesus remained silent. This is when he is before the high priest. He's before the council. They're trying him. They're trying to stir up false witnesses. They're trying to get people to lie about him and and make all these accusations about him so that they can condemn him to death. 63. But Jesus remained silent 
And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. If he's simply claiming when he says the son of man and refers to himself as the son of man, if he's simply claiming that he is human, then he's not deserving of death in their eyes. But if he is by saying the son of man, you will see coming on the clouds, they don't miss it. They know he is directly tying himself to Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, the one who was seen in the vision, he is claiming to be God. And that's why they condemn him to death. They were looking for a reason. He spoke the truth, and the truth was all the reason they needed. give you all this tonight. I'll show you all of this because you're going to encounter people. We, we like to speak in generalities and think that it's only on the Discovery Channel and only on CNN and only out there in this part of the world or here or there. But the reality is there are people that live on your street. There are people that work where you work beside you. There are people probably that come in here every week with us who have not yet become convinced that Jesus is more than a man. They are content to say, well, yeah, he, he was a great man, probably the most influential man of history. I mean, if Time magazine did an issue of the 100 greatest, most influential people in human history, Jesus would be number one. They're content to tell you that. But the reality is, it doesn't stop there. There are those that would say, Jesus never claimed to be God. The Bible never claims that Jesus is God. But I think we've seen tonight as we've looked at it together, the Bible explicitly says Jesus is God. Jesus himself explicitly said, I am God. Don't let anyone deceive you. Take these scriptures and those people that you live next to and work next to and all the rest. Share this with them. Do so in a spirit of love. Do so wanting to lead them to Christ. But share this by all means. That Jesus is Fully man, but he is also fully God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, thank you that you didn't refuse to take on flesh, that you did take on flesh so that you could die in our place, so that you could live perfectly, righteously, so that you could become our mediator so that you could identify with us, so that you could leave us the example, all of those things, God. But God, we need more than 
a man to save us. God, thank you that you, in your mercy, in your grace, reached out to us when we could not approach you. And you sent your Son, God of very God, to die in our place. For that we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great night.